So we're talking about learning to pray effectively. And that's something that every one of us need. And it's something that every one of us have to learn. We're not born with the innate ability to pray biblically. All right? We have to learn to pray biblically. Now, most anybody can say words and call it a prayer. And in some cases, it may be, but in a lot of cases, it isn't. Don't know whether you know this or not, but every religion has something they call prayer. Buddhism does. Judaism does. Muslims do. Hindus do. Every sect you can think of have something that they call prayer. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's prayer to Jehovah God, nor does it mean that it's biblical, which much of it is not, nor does it mean that God himself is going to answer that prayer. So we need to learn to pray biblically. And that means if we're going to do that, then that means we need to know what God is like. The God we're praying to, what is he like? See, the scripture says that we have to believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So what is the God we're praying to? What is he like? Is he operating out of love and concern for us? Does he hear us when we pray? Does he know things about us that we really don't know ourselves? Does he know not only the past and present, but the future? What is this God like? The only place to get honest answers to those type questions is the Word of God. So to learn to pray biblically, we have to get into, guess what? The Bible. That is our source to learn to pray biblically. And so that's what we want to do. We want to look at scriptures and see some things from the Word of God a little bit each week until we get a little bit bigger, fuller picture of what it is to pray biblically. So let's look at that scripture I just mentioned. That's Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So first, you can't please God without faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. If you and I are going to pray biblically, we have to come with faith. So the first thing we have to do then is define what that is. What is faith? Number one, faith is not hope. Now, it starts off with hope, but it is not hope. It transcends beyond hope. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's King James. Faith is the substance, or another translation says, the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence or proof of things not seen. So you have an expectation. That's what hope, the word hope stands for there. It's an expectation. You have that. That's the desire that's motivating you to pray because you want, you expect an outcome. So you start with that. But the fact that you have that doesn't mean that that's Bible faith. It just means you have a hope or a desire or an expectation. So what is it? Faith is the substance, the assurance of things hoped for. In other words, you have faith that this expectation is going to come to pass. Now, how do you know that that expectation is in the will of God? Well, if, if, you, if that's all it is, is an expectation, that will not tell you if that's in the will of God or not. So you have to have some other basis for what we are now calling faith. And what is it? It's the promises in the word of God. That's what it is. 
Lots of times I know that we get involved with prayer or things we're praying for that we really do not have a biblical base for it. And if you don't have a biblical base for it, God will not give you the assurance that he's going to do it. It needs to be in line with Scripture. Now, I know all this is elementary to all of us, but i got to lay the foundation to get to where we're going, okay? So faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence or the proof of things not seen. See, God being the invisible God that he is to naturalize, he's real. He's more real than anything in the human existence that you and I can see. But he doesn't manifest himself to us, generally speaking, like we see other people. So to know his existence, to know him, it takes faith, the ability to believe something that is not real to the five senses on most occasions. Sometimes when you and I get in a place where there's a corporate anointing, you can sense the presence of God. And that is usually pretty accurate if we've learned to distinguish the ability to have spiritual senses as opposed to natural feelings. If we can differentiate the difference there, when you sense the presence of God, that's usually pretty good. But beyond that, you have to base it or compare it to what Scripture reveals to us. Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence are not seen. Without faith, it's impossible to please him, please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he exists. Does God really exist? Where is he? I can't see him. A lot of professors in school and college in philosophy class get bombarded with that. If a young person says, well, I believe in God, and the professor says, where is he? I can't see him. Why do you believe in God? He's not visible. And they began to attack the faith of that individual who believes that God exists simply because he's invisible. It takes faith to believe. It takes faith for us to believe what the Bible says. Even though the Bible itself, the promises of the Word of God, encourages our faith, we have to approach it and receive it by faith. Even the first chapter and 1, 2, and 3 in the book of Genesis talks about faith. By faith we believe the worlds were formed. By faith. Hebrews 11 also indicates that. Okay? So, he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's who God is. He is a rewarder. In other words, he meets us because we diligently seek him. Now, another thing about learning to pray the prayer of faith, we have to realize our part in this matter. We are working together with him. See, it's his kingdom. He has a plan. He has a purpose for his kingdom. He has a purpose for the body of Christ, the church. He has a purpose for the family of God. He has a purpose for every individual believer. He has a purpose. None of us exist aimlessly and we just are here. God has a plan. He has a purpose. We're here for a reason. So we are working with him not to advance ourselves, but his kingdom. Scripture says that. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 1. We then as workers together with him plead, uh, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. We're working together with him. So we need to find out what his plan and purpose is because it's his, it's his kingdom. It's his purpose that we're a part of. So let's find out what that is, and then let's pray into that. All right? And as we do that, we're working with him. We're co-workers, co-laborers with him. Lord, what is your will about this situation? So let's pray in accordance to his will. I can pray accordance to what I want, but that is no guarantee that that's what he wants. See, we have to know the difference. And how you find that out is through the promises of God. 
and we're working together with him to advance his kingdom to establish his will on planet earth. In the model prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, next phrase, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're here to establish, advance, advance his kingdom and to establish his will on planet earth. And guess who has the authority to work with him and do that? Those that are in the body of Christ. Those that are his children. As his children, he has given us authority to pray his promises and his will. We've been given that. It's up to us. We can use it. In lots of dimensions, we can use it for physical health. We can use it for finances. We can use it for family. We can use it on certain circumstances in our life. We can use it in the political realm. There's lots of places that God has a will that he wants established. And if we do not assume and use the authority given to us, to declare the promises of God related to those situations, then we are derelict in our responsibilities. Now, let me just throw something out. This may agitate you, but that's okay. You'll get over it. And that's this. One reason that we may have problems, as we do in our country, it very well could, some of it could be at the feet of the church that we have not faithfully declared what God has said. And so that we should, we may be guilty of having not done that. See, we don't, re, don't want to receive the grace of God in vain, as that scripture said we just read. It's what that means is this. See, grace means not only unmerited favor, it also means divine ability. You and I have been given grace, that is divine ability, to do what God has called us to do. Now, we can either use that ability or we can let it sit idle. If we let it sit idle, it will not accomplish the purpose that God gave it to us for. See? So that's why I'm saying that if he's given us the ability to declare the kingdom of God in manifestation and we do not do that, then people are going to suffer the absence of the will of God when you and I could have had something to do with it being established. See my point? So I believe to some degree because we as the church haven't done all that we should be doing, then we are somewhat responsible for certain things happening. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Model prayer. Now, I believe that phrase in, in verse 10 there, your kingdom come, your will be done, is not only a prayer to be prayed, but a declaration to be made. In other words, I can say to God, Lord, I want to see your kingdom come in manifestation greater than it is today, and I believe that's biblical to do that. Okay? But I also can declare that same thing from a different perspective. Not as a request to God for something that is yet to be and his kingdom in its fullest extent is future still. It's present, but it's also future. So in that respect, yes, I'm praying for the kingdom future to come. But I also can declare it, Father, your kingdom is coming now. Your kingdom is here now. I declare your kingdom in this place, in this household, in this circumstance, your kingdom here. I'm not so much asking God to do it. I'm declaring that God's already provided it, and I'm speaking it into existence in this circumstance. You see the difference? One is I'm beseeching God for something that I want that I haven't seen. The other one is I'm assuming the position you've already given it and I'm declaring that it's coming into existence materially, physically, in this present circumstance. I suggest that there are a lot of things that we need to change the way we say it, to change our attitude and viewpoint, that a lot of things that we're asking God to do, he's already provided for us. 
okay? And we're actually praying in a way that's not sufficient to see it done. Why should I ask God, Jesus Christ, to go to the cross and die for me again or die for you or die for this sinner that I'm talking to here? I don't have to wait. So Jesus, would you please go to the cross and die for John? That's absurdity. The Bible said the, it's finished. It's done. He's never going to the cross again. One time is sufficient, right? We never asked him to do again what he's already done. We believe what the Bible says he's already done, and we accept him as Lord and Savior, and we get the benefit of what he provided. The same thing is true of every other thing he's promised through redemption. Okay? If he's made it possible, it's reality now. Well, why don't I have it? Because, A, maybe I haven't believed for it. Maybe I'm not speaking in accordance to it, not declaring it. So, yes, the kingdom of God is yet to come, but yet there's a part of the kingdom that's already here, and I don't have to ask for it to come. I just declared it is. Right? I just declare it. It is. It's in existence today. Now, there's different types of prayers, and we're not going to cover all of these because of time, obviously, but there's a prayer of dedication, prayer of petition, prayer of praise, thanksgiving, intercession, supplications. There's all sorts of ways to pray, but yet they all should be prayers prayed in faith. They all should be prayers to the Lord, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, whichever we're directing. We need to know that what we believe is in the will of God. I've touched on that. Can our prayers change God's will? Generally speaking, no. But there are some circumstances in the Bible that were. So that's why I say generally speaking, no, because it's not an everyday occurrence. It's just there were sometimes, for example, Moses. God said, I'm going to wipe these people out. They're stiff-necked, stubborn people. I'm going to wipe them out. Moses, I'm going to take you, and I'm going to make a brand-new bunch of people. And Moses fell on his face before God and says, don't do that. If you do that, the enemies of Israel are going to say that you weren't able to take your people into the promised land. God said, okay, I won't do it then. Obviously, that's the parish translation. But you get the point. There's a few times that that sort of thing did happen, but believe you, that is not an everyday, ordinary thing. So basically, we're not going to change the will of God. And even that, God probably had it all lined out, knowing that Moses was going to do that, and he didn't get upset about it. You know, God being God, he knows everything, so he's not surprised by anything. And so even in that, he probably had it all lined out. We need to know that what we believe is the will of God. Is it the will of God. If it is, you can pray it. If it is, you can pray it. Now, let me give you some scriptures here. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we asked, we know that we have the petition that we have asked of him. That is a great promise. Look at that. We have this confidence in God that if we asked anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us, we know we have it. Wow. That is such a broad, fantastic promise. Is it the will of God? Now, some people have put this promise in absurd form. Lord, I want a green Maserati. Oh, it would be great if I had a green Maserati. That must be the will of God because God loves me so much and I'm his favorite kid. I'm sure he would want me to have a green Maserati. And I could go on and on with that till I convince myself it's, it's the will of God for me to have a green Maserati. And so I could go to God in prayer. Say, God, this word says 
if we know it, it's according to your will, so that must be according to your will because you love me, then I know you hear me and I know I'm going to get it. And then get upset when they don't get it. I don't know if you've ever met anybody like that, but I've met several of them. They come up with something thinking it's the will of God, something that God hasn't said nor promised. He hasn't promised me or anybody else a green Maserati in the scripture. Or even a donkey. Right? There's no promise in scripture that says that. It does say he meets your needs according to his riches glory in Christ Jesus, but needs and greeds are two different things. It said he meets your needs. Will he do that? He will do that, absolutely. And for us Americans, sometimes it's, it's, we get those things mixed up some. And we don't know what we are praying for is really the will of God or is it something we want and that we have convinced ourselves about. John 15, 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. If you abide in me, my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done. Now, that sounds like a relationship, right? If you abide in me, abide means dwell. If you are housed with me, and my words abide or dwell in you, then you shall ask what you will and it shall be done. I suggest one insight to that would be this. The reason that is such an open-end promise is if we really do that and we have some desires that aren't biblical, if we're really abiding in him and his word is really abiding in us, pretty soon it will change our desires to fit his will. All right? And then, well, if it's in his will already, and we ask for it, well, what will he do? He'll do it. Because what does the Bible say? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, 21 says, All the promises of God are yes and amen. That means God has already said yes to every promise he's made. So if you and I are in agreement with the promises of God, anything he's promised, he's already said yes to. But the condition here is we have to abide in him, dwelling in him, and his word in us. And then we get to the place where we can ask for things that he is in his will that he knows we need and he will do it. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord he'll give you the desires of your heart. Man, what a promise. Well, Lord, I desire this. Lord, I desire that. Lord, I desire and that. Lord, I desire and no, that's not what he's talking about. You got to delight yourself in the Lord and by doing so, he changes our desires, our thinking, our wants, our needs. And then you can ask and get it. But if it's just a matter of I can come up with a whole, whole list of stuff, that's a different story. You know, my name is Jimmy, I'll take all you gimme mentality. A lot of times that's, that's how we approach God. It, I got a list. Lord, I got a list. I mean, it's... Whatever. No, that does, that's not what we're talking about here. Just go to God with anything, and then if he doesn't get it, then just blame God. Well, it's probably because we missed it. Probably because we missed it somewhere that we didn't get it. Another thing we need to know about, and we're talking about learning to pray effectively, where is God located? See, in heaven? I submit that he is. Is he in your spirit? I submit that he is. I submit that you can go any place in God's universe and he'll be there when you get there. Why? Because he's God and the Holy Spirit has the capability of being everywhere present at the same time. So he's in heaven, yes. He's in us. And I'm not too greatly concerned about him being in heaven because I know that's not the only place he is. Sure, he's there. One scripture indicates and maybe a couple other places that Jesus, the resurrected, glorified Christ, is sitting at the Father's right hand. Well, I got him living in my heart. How can that be? 
That's because he is spirit. He lives in us via the Holy Spirit. And according to John 17, not only do you have the Holy Spirit in you, you have Jesus and the Father in you. That'll blow some people's mind. Now, wait a minute. You mean I got the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living in me? You surely do, according to Scripture. You sure do. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. I'm in the Father, and the Father's in me, and I'm in you. Read it. It's in John chapter 17, verse 15, 16, 17, along in there. It's in there. So, what are we saying? Where is he? All right, if, if he's in heaven, but if he's in me, then guess what? I don't have to jump and scream and holler down here to get his attention up there. Hey, God, see this situation down here? People, some people pray that way. They got to get his attention. You don't have to get his attention. Guess what? He knows more about that situation than you'll ever know about that situation. He's God. So if we spend more of our time not telling God the problem, but declaring from a present possession position of what his promises entails, we will come nearer getting that prayer answered. Now, Lord, you know Sister Sally, or Lord, you know my son here, and look at what he's gotten himself into. Now, Lord, let me tell you about this. If God laughs at us, I'm sure at that he would laugh. Yeah. You don't understand. I'm God. I'm the creator of the universe. And you trying to explain to me what you see about this? No, you know, the best way to approach that situation is find something the Bible says that's applicable to that and start declaring that in your prayer. Father, I thank you that your word says, and you declare that, and thank God for it. You know, if we spent more time thanking God for what he's already provided and less time of begging God for something that he's already provided, the ones that we prayed for and thank God for, we will come nearer receiving than the other type. See, we never have to ask God to do what he's already done. Don't never have to ask Jesus to die on the cross again to save people. Don't never have to ask Jesus Christ to bear the stripes of people ever again. He's already done it. Lord, would you please love me or love Bill or Sue or whatever? He already does it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son. See, I never have to ask God to do what he did. That's wasting good air to do that. Never do that. But you know what I have found that lots of times that's the way we pray. I had an evangelist one time when we were in in Rockport, and, and he uh, was a faith teacher. And I was actually kind of a little bit perturbed by something that he said. And he was teaching along about uh, actually get receiving from God, and he was talking about sometimes you need to get God's attention. And even back then, 40, what, nearly 50 years ago or so, I knew better than that. You don't have to get God's attention. As if he had gone to sleep, you have to wake him up. Hey, you know, you know, you see this? That's ridiculous. You don't have to do that. That's not good praying. Are there special places on earth you need to go to get your prayers answered? I submit to you there is not. There's not a single place on planet earth you need to go that will help you get your prayers answered. There's not. Acts chapter 7, verse 48, Philip on that great evangelistic message he preached. He said, the Most High does not dwell in tabernacles made by man. There are no holy spots on planet Earth other than the human redeemed spirit. That's the holy spot. You know why? Because Father, Son, and Holy Ghost lives there. Inside of your redeemed spirit is a holy spot. And wherever you are is a holy spot. Because he's with you. He's in you. And you don't have to go anyplace else to get your prayers answered. Now, I, I make such a deal of this because a few years ago, there were some nationally known speakers, and I, I will not name any of them, 
but there were a few nationally known speakers that would try to get people, intercessors particularly, to get in airplanes and fly over certain places because they would pray. Felt like they were getting closer to God and God was more. Honey, he's on the earth just like he is up there, 30,000 feet. No big deal. You know, well, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to put prayer requests in the holes in the wall. If you've ever been over there, you've seen those prayer requests in all those holes, thousands of them. That's no better than being in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm going to get baptized in the River Jordan. Oh, it's a holy spot. No, it isn't. It's dirty water. Brown, yucky, muddy water is what it is. You can if you want to. It won't, you won't lose your salvation for doing it. But my point is, it won't do you any good. No more so than being baptized back there. Now, that's, that's a joy killer for some people. But it's truth. There are no holy spots. You don't have to get his attention. You don't have to get high up there to get his, your prayer answered. None of that stuff helps you in getting your prayer answered. It really doesn't. God is who he is. You and I are who we are. And the promise he's made to us, we need to take advantage of. All right, let's real quickly, let's go to the book of Luke, chapter 11. And one day, after Jesus has been praying, some of his disciples came to him in verse 1 and said, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And then he proceeds to give them the model prayer that we just alluded to and Tim spoke about the other day. So, that's the basics. Whether you say that those phrases word by word or you, you pray in this manner, as Matthew says, either case, those are some of the basic areas that you can pray about. And that's like a treadmill to get you started praying. It's not that every prayer has to contain all of those phrases. But if you go ahead and read here in verses 5 through 8, he gives an example of being persistent in prayer. And verses 9 through 13 is also included. And I'm going to read the 9 through 13. He said, So I say unto you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. To him who knocks, it will be opened. Notice the present tense, continuous action. Seeks. Knocks, open, continuous action, persistent. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean I just have to keep begging God? No, you don't ever have to beg God in your prayer. Never, ever does that need to be done. Never. You should ask. And if you're on biblical grounds, declare it until it is manifest. Or God tells you to stop, whichever comes first. All right? That's the persistence. Another translation says, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. That presupposes that you're asking biblically, that you're seeking correctly, and that you're knocking correctly. That's, it doesn't say it there, but that's in the context of what the, that we're talking about. Persistence. Don't give up. Don't quit. Everyone who asks keeps on asking, and he who keeps on seeking finds, and to him who keeps on knocking, it is open. If a son asks for bread from his father uh, among you, will he give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? If he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? Look in verse 13. If you then, being evil, in Greek the phrase is less than perfect, we all qualify right there, that's us. If you are being evil or less than perfect, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? And folks, the, the most prized possession that you and I have is the presence of God living in us. There's not a single thing you can think of or name on planet Earth that supersedes that. And I be, would dare to say it like this. There's not anything in heaven that supersedes that. 
the golden streets, the gates of pearl, none of that supersedes Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right? And guess what? They live in you and me. Right here. So if he would give the very best, if you ask, seek, and knock, which are biblical, if he would do that, these other things matter by comparison. Well, Lord, I have this bill and I don't have the money to pay it. That is important, but it's not nearly as important as what's going on on the inside in you and my spirit. This is far greater. So you got the, ba the basics, you got the persistence, and then you got united prayer in verses following. It's a case of where they cast out a demon, it was mute, and, and Jesus cast it out. And, and then he gave them some teaching about division. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. It's talking about united, being united. The case is deliverance. But it's not just about or limited to deliverance. It's any other prayer that you and I. Let's say we got... 20 people here tonight, all right? If you have 20 people praying biblically with faith, you can move mountains. We can move mountains. Whosoever shall say, whosoever, that sounds like one. Whosoever shall say to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, he shall have what he says. Therefore, I say unto you, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. Now, multiply that by any number, 2, 10, 20, 50, 1,000, 25,000, 100,000, all believing in faith on a biblical thing, asking and declaring it, mountains can be moved, circumstances can change. It really does work. Let me give you a couple of more scriptures here and then we're going to do something else. Mark 9, 23, Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. If you can believe, all things are possible. Oral Roberts used to have healing crusades. I remember watching some of his crusades in black and white on TV on Sunday afternoon. We didn't have a TV, but I had a cousin live not far from us that did. Sometimes we would be at their house on Sunday afternoon, and it, his program would come on, and so we liked to watch his program. He would start off, only believe, all things are possible. That was a course that they sang ever, at every crusade service. All things are possible to those who believe. Disperse. And they are. They are. All things are possible. And I just quoted to you Mark 11. So let me conclude this teaching part by making a couple of statements. Your faith will always work for you when you pray biblically. All right? Hang on to that statement. Your faith will always work for you when you are praying biblically, meaning something God has promised, it's in the will of God, your faith will always work. Now, why has it worked in some time past? Well, we need to kind of check it out. Maybe we didn't pray according to the word of God. Maybe we didn't pray in faith. But your faith will always work for you. Now, the other side of that statement is this. It will not always work for other people. Why? Because they have a will. They have a will. Maybe there are things in their life that is not lining up with the plan and purpose of God. Maybe God is dealing with them about some things and he can't answer your prayer yet for them until he gets them where they're supposed to be so that they could handle that healing or blessing that God wants to give them because you prayed for them. You see the difference? So why have I been praying for these people for 30 years? 
thank God for your persistence. But maybe God is still working on them to get them to the place to where they could get the benefit out of what you're praying into existence. Let me give you a little story here. A number of years ago, and I'm thinking it's back in the 1990s, we had three people in New Life Church, older people, who were diagnosed with and having symptoms of and having to deal with cancer. Those individuals were prayed for numerous times in prayer lines in the front. Laid hands on them, anointed them with oil. Lots of people prayed for them. Every time we had a special speaker in, they would get prayer. They did not get better. They got worse. This went on. There were times when we had a, a season of fasting and prayer, and we included them in it as some of the major components of our prayer focus. Did not get better. One day, I'm, I'm really concerned about this, and I'm, if I can say, badgering God about it. Why, why aren't these people being healed? I know cancer is something that you took care of at the cross. Just like you bore our sins, you took stripes for the healing of our bodies. And I heard in my spirit God say, don't ask me to heal them again. I am not going to do it because they do not have faith. That was it. So you know what I did? I quit praying for them to be healed. Now, I could pray God bless them. In fact, several times after that, I laid hands on them at the front of the church. We were in what's now the chapel and, and asked God to bless them, but I never again asked God to heal them. In fact, the second phrase of what he, when he spoke to me that day was this. All three of them will be dead within six months. I thought, mm, we're going to see if this is really God. I, d I preached the last funeral of the third one two weeks before the six months were up. I had already done. But then a couple of months after that, one of them died. About two months later, the other one died. And then two weeks before the six months was up, the third one died. And I did their funeral. You get my point? You can always, your faith will always work for you if you're praying biblically. It will not always work for other people because you and I don't know what's going on in every detail with that other person. Now, what are we supposed to do? We'll keep declaring the word of God until God tells you not. Right? Don't give up. Don't quit because it looks difficult. That's not a reason to quit because it looks difficult. You keep on praying and declaring the word of God, but there's sometimes it don't work because something else is going on. You remember the place in the, in the Gospels where Jesus in his own home city, the Bible will say he could not do any mighty works there because of their unbelief. Then he goes ahead to say, but he healed a few th minor things. Even the Son of God couldn't override, the, or he didn't override the people and where they were. He just healed a few minor situations, but he never did miracles there at that time. Because he, could, in fact, King James says he could do no mighty work there, no miracles there, because of their unbelief. So what does that mean? That means if you and I are praying biblically, the person we're praying for, we need to get them on the same page with us and get them actively praying as well. And then we'll see the most benefit. Shifting gears. Several years ago, we had a man in New Life Church who had had heart trouble for several years. In fact, this man had, at one point, while waiting for a heart transplant, had to wear the, a vest that had 10-pound batteries on each side to keep his heart working. He did that for three years. He came to this church with the vest with these big 10-pound batteries in them. There came a time then when he did get a heart and they had a transplant down at Jewish Hospital. 
And I remember the first time I got to see him, I think maybe it was two or three days after the surgery that I was allowed in with a, you know, a mask and gloves and robe and all that stuff. When I went into that room, I had never up until that time seen anyone had as many IVs in them. He had 17 bags of fluid flowing into his body in that CCU. At Jewish hospital. Several times I saw him. He was on on the uh, you know the vent and and uh, would just simply go in and pray and leave. If I believed what I saw, I would say there's no chance he's never going to recover from this. He's too far gone. And I don't remember the exact days. He can tell you himself. But uh, there came a time when the doctors told his wife, if we do not see some immediate change, he is so far gone, he can't live like this. At some point, he, he'll just be a vegetable if we keep doing this. And so I was in contact with her every day via phone. So she told me one day, she said, tomorrow morning I'm meeting with three doctors, and they're specialists, and they're going to tell me what they want to do. I said, do you want me to be with you? She said, would you? And I said, absolutely. So I was in the room with her when the three specialists came in. And they said to her, if we do not see some improvement by tomorrow morning, we're going to shut everything down. Will you agree to that? And she had to make some decisions. The next morning, I called her about 8 o'clock or so. I said, how is he doing? And she said, well, the doctors say he's a little bit better. We're not going to do anything like that today. The next morning, I called his wife again. I said, how is he doing? She said, well, they say he's a little bit better today, better than yesterday. They're not going to do that today. Every day, he got a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. Now, I may have this number a little bit wrong that I'm about to give you, but he can straighten it out. As I recall, one night, somewhere in there, I'm not sure exactly what night or at what day this happened, but one night, he died three times, and they shocked him back to life. During the course of his being in CCU, he died, as I remember, nine times. And they brought him back to life. The guy is in here tonight. Brother Nokomis, would you come and share some of your testimony? I want you to hear this, folks. This is a miracle. I mean, this is a first-class miracle if you don't know the story. I've asked him to share some of it. I mean, it'd take him about 10 days to share all of it, but... Uh, <laughs> I don't even know where to start at. I'm just a walking miracle, and I give Jesus the praise every moment uh, that I'm breathing. To have a breath in this body is just a blessing to me. And I tell you, it's just... Uh, God is just so good. He's just so good. He just... I, I don't have words to express but I, I relate uh, my healing to uh, what Dr. Curl was saying. It's all that walk of faith, walk of faith. I, I, uh, I let go of hope, and I just begin to grasp on to faith and begin to quote the scripture, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 5, for we walk by faith and not by sight. And I just kept holding on to it and holding on to it. And there were times, some, some of you have heard some of the testimonies that I've given there were times when I walked in here and I felt like I'm just, this is it. You know, my day, this is it. At the end of this day, I'm just gone. And I remember one time when I walked up here and, and Pastor Tim walked over and greeted me. He just don't know what, uh, what it did to me. It gave me strength in my, in my, my body. Um, but my spirit has always, and I, and I related to when I was five years old, I almost say this, when I was five years old, about five and a half, uh, I developed what we call nowadays an eating disorder. 
But back in West Virginia, I ate and ate and ate and ate. And at age 12, I was weighing 300 pounds, right at it, 300 pounds. And uh, I had a, a heart problem back then. And uh, uh, the, the, the doctors would, would look at me and they would say, well, they wouldn't let me pay, play football. That's one of the things I wanted to do in life was play football. They wouldn't let me play football. So on a Friday night, March, I think it was uh, Friday night, uh, it was a Friday night, it was March, um, about seven o'clock in the evening, uh, uh, one of the giants of the faith was preaching on Jesus saves, his blood cleanses and delivers. And it looks like to me, um, while I was sitting there at 12 years old, it seemed like to me it was just something in here. It was just like, uh, I, can't, I can't explain it. But anyway, he made the altar call. I walked down the aisle, down the aisle, give my life to Jesus at age 12. And, I'm, and I've said some of this before. And I'm standing there at the altar. I didn't lift my hands. I didn't run around the church. I didn't fall out. And I'm standing there listening to myself speaking a language I've never spoken before. And I, I, and I relate my healing to that point, you know. Uh, Jesus never leaves us alone. <laughs> never. Uh, my mother had passed at five. My father was in a mine accident. There was three of us. We were shuffled around here and there and moved around. And finally, our grandparents took the, took the two boys in, and the Robinsons took my sister in. But I relate all of that to uh, my life's journey because my grandparents were people praying people, you know, we were old Pentecostals. I mean, this was the old, old way. I mean, you could hear mama, my grandmother praying in tongues early in the morning. So, you know, this is what I was brought up under. But getting back to this healing thing, uh, healing is available to everyone, everyone. And you have to, personal experience, you have to just hold on to the word, as Dr. Curl said, and faith. The word and faith. You just got to keep bringing the word, walking by faith, bringing the word, walking by faith, bringing the word, trusting in the Lord. That's the only thing that will get you to where you need to be. Uh, because I remember, as Dr. Curl was saying, the hour that, um, that I was uh, probably passing, well, I had this, this uh, doctor to tell me, excuse me, I'm, I'm dry because I haven't had anything to drink. I had this doctor to tell me, one of the doctors that was in the room at the time, uh, that they needed to make that call. And the last time that they brought me back up back when I was, it was trying to survive me, revive me. And he told me one-on-one, -on -one, my wife had walked out of the room and he sat down and he, he looked at me and he said, you know what? He says, the only thing I can relate to healing to is a miracle. He says, I was a, almost within seconds of calling your time that you had expired on planet Earth. And all at once, the board lit up, but he don't realize that I was, at that time, I was having this, this uh, testimony about Jesus. And he come to me and spoke to me and says, body, live, and don't die. And here I am. Amen. Yeah. Here I am. No, right. no, I have no... Um, no fibrillator, no pacemaker. It's just Jesus. I mean, that's, that's all that. I mean, I, I just. I mean, what do you say? I yeah, mean, you just right. give praise to Him, you know. Right. And now, when I see people that have problems, I just want to lay hands on them yeah. and just just pray for them, you know. I think uh, the Lord has given me that. Through all of that, it's just a prayer life, you know. And uh, I just want to minister to people and let people know Jesus is alive. Yes. Right. He is he, he is very yes. much alive, more alive than what we realize. He is. <laughs> there are times when I'm at home, excuse me, at times I'm at, at, at home and I'll be on my knees praying. I may be standing up, maybe walking through the room or something. And all at once I have to stop and say, you know, I know you're here. I can't see you, but the sense and the aroma of heaven is in this room. Yes. You know, it's just, just a presence of him, you know. You get to a place where just the presence of the Lord, you know, and and, and healing, I think, is just a just a, a avenue to get you closer to Him. 
you know, and as a, a witness and a testimony, just walk around, you know, this is Jesus. This has to be him. Right. I mean, uh, I'll, I'll tell Betty sometime in the house, this, this has got to be Jesus. Because I'm, I'm feeling, you know, well, and, you know, uh, there's nothing going on in my body. The doctors are amazed at how I'm, I'm improved. This got to be Jesus. You know, right. What did we just say? Right. You know, it's Jesus. And it's just a testimony that I have for, uh, that uh, I can uh, go through life and just tell about the goodness of Jesus and how he has healed me and saved me and delivered me. Right. There are some things that he has totally delivered me from through going through what I went through, you know. And I realized that, that he has did that for me. And it's just a great testimony. And uh, I'm just so proud to be a part of New Life and to, you know, uh, walk in and see Dr. Carroll, Pastor Tim, and the body, and just, because I know your prayers. Your prayers got me here. A lot of your prayers got me where I am through faith and prayers. That's the only thing that got me to where I am. But thank you tonight. God bless you and continue to pray for me and pray for my family. Um, uh, they said that I uh, got a call tonight. One of my cousins has got the COVID. So, but we're praying that uh, God he heals that also. Yeah. We're praying that, uh, there, that there be a healing in the land, you know, of this, uh, this disease. So pray for me. God bless you. Amen. Thank you. Doesn't he look good for somebody who died nine times? <laughs> praise God. Praise God. Amen. He looks fantastic. That's God's work. I want us to spend some time praying. And... Uh, Nicomas, what's the first name of your cousin? Your, the first name of your cousin that got COVID? Okay. That's all right. Well, when we pray for him, we'll just say Nicomas' cousin. God. Darius. Okay. Darius. All right. I want to tell you about something that happened this afternoon. Steve Price and I went to see Marie Young to pray for her. She's in the, his life group. She's been very sick, and the doctors have given her a very, very poor prognosis. She is a believer. She's a very committed believer. Uh, she believes God. She's believing the Word of God. So we went with the express purpose of laying hands on her and praying for her. And um, she's lost a whole lot of weight, very weak, but she can walk around some. Uh, some lung conditions and a whole bunch of other stuff. We started, well, first Steve read some scripture and we started praying for her. The presence of God came into that room tangibly. Not just he's here by faith, he's there because we could sense it. And I was telling Tim earlier, I could even, I did not see any angels, but I could sense their presence in that room. And when we began to pray, both of us laid hands on her, it was like the Spirit of God, like electricity, was flowing in her body. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen a very proper, petite, nice woman get the giggles. But this wasn't just any giggle. She started laughing in the spirit. I mean hilariously. To the point that she was sitting on the couch and Steve and I were, had been sitting in chairs facing her in the couch. And she just <laughs> fell back on the couch and just laughed and laughed and laughed. And it was the Holy Spirit to laugh of joy of the Holy Spirit. And she says, this is amazing. I don't know how to explain this. I feel so good on the inside, but it feels like my body is heavy. I said, that's okay, Marie. One of the definitions of the word glory is weightedness. Weightedness. Heaviness. That's one of the definitions for glory. When God's glory is manifest, remember when the glory of God in the temple was so profound on the priest, they couldn't do their job because of the glory of God was so 
profound and powerful. And so sometimes when the glory of God is manifest like that, just sit there and enjoy it. And that's what she did. I told you that because I want you to keep believing with us for her complete manifestation. We want to see that totally manifest, that she can be here giving a testimony like Brother Nokomis. This is what God has done. Do you believe that's possible? Amen. Amen. All right, that's what we're believing for her, and that's what she's believing. That's what she's believing. We checked her out. That's what she's believing, that God has started the healing work in her that will be fully manifest some point. When? Don't know. How? Don't know. Believe it is. So let's pray. And uh, let's pray. Her name is Marie and then Nokomis' cousin, Darius. Darius, okay? Somebody want to lead out on those? Have at it.